In 2006, Martin Briley and uh, myself went off on a missions trip to Africa, and so we visited Mozambique, uh, the aliens down there. We visited the um, Uganda with the Tumasimis, and we visited the Ames in Kenya, and after a visit with the, the Ames, they took us along the road from Nairobi to Uganda, which goes past a spot which they call the Rift Valley Lookout. And it's a particular um, place where the Rift Valley is below us, and you're about 3,500 metres high. Now, to put that in perspective, if anyone here climbed Mount Cook? No? Well, three quarters of the way up Mount Cook, uh, you would be about three and a half thousand metres high. So that's how high. In fact, if you continue along this road, there's a little village where marathon runners go to train because of the high altitude. We were going to the Rift Valley Academy, which is where the Ailing's uh, children were in school at that stage, and at this particular lookout, we got out, and the amazing thing is you could look out, and you could see the horizon in front of you, behind you, to the right, and to the left. As far as you could see, you could see the horizon, and I could just imagine Abraham Uh, being called up onto the mountains with God and God saying, hey, look out to the right and to the left, um, to the north and to the south. And every place that you can see, every place that your foot touches, I'm going to give it to you. It was just so, so incredibly, incredibly expensive to be able to look around. You know, in New Zealand, we're we're a tiny, tiny little isthmus. But there in Africa, those of you who have been on that continent will know that you can just see for miles and miles and miles. Our heritage as a people, though, comes from incredibly expensive worldview people. People who left Hawaii in tiny, tiny little sailing vessels People who left the UK in ships and sailed across the oceans, leaving behind the safety of their homes to forge out a pioneering breakthrough life in this country. And those Europeans that came in brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world. What an incredibly expansive worldview our ancestors had. People, I say that because people and churches can get really small-minded and constricted in their lifestyle. And they can forget from where they've come. They can forget what their heritage is, they can forget what God had planned and purposed for each and every one of us, and they can live beneath what God has intended. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, because this is not a new problem, this is an old problem. He writes to the church at Corinth, encouraging them 
to live more expansively. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. So you'll see it up on the, um, the screen behind me. And it says this. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. What a great translation that is of that verse. And one of the key lines there is, your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. And I think that can apply to each and every one of us. Um, One of the prophetic words that has been given to Church Unlimited uh, recently has been from Isaiah 54 verse 2, which says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. In other words, (coughs) grow Enlarge your capacity for me, me, says God. Increase your kingdom influence. Become more blessed so that you can be a greater blessing. So the question is not so much whether we need to be more expansive in our thinking, whether we need to grow in our vision, whether we need to uh, change in our lives. The question is, how can we do it? How can we become more expansive? How can we get a greater vision of what God wants to do in and through us? And so I've got uh, just a few points this morning. And the first of these is put God and his kingdom first in your life. 2 Corinthians six seventeen, just carrying on from that passage that we first read. It says, so leave the corruption, the compromise, leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. Uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as that well. You see, when you put God first in your decisions and your choices and begin to live life God's way, it leads you into a lifestyle of liberty an expanse greater than you could ever imagine. A compromise causes you to live in a prison of your own making outside of God's blessing, but God's favor comes as we live life in God's way leads to abundance. When God is not first in your life, You live life beneath the expansive life that God created you to live. But when you live close to God, it's like you're up on high looking down and you begin to see things in a new new way. My brother, Alan, gave the grandkids a quadcopter for Christmas. Pretty expansive. Um... Well, actually, he gave them two. He gave them a little one, which he tried out at my place, flew it into the bush, and that was the last we saw of it. 
So then, okay, so then he bought the, um, the bigger, better model, which had uh, GPS um, tracking and had uh, GPS return to home buttons and all this sort of things. But one of the things it had on this, this quadcopter was a camera. And the camera was linked into our iPhone. So we could take it up in the air and we could spin it around and we could capture a video of all around. So at my place, we took it way, way up and just circled around. And we were absolutely, absolutely amazed at what we could see when we got a higher view of everything. We just saw things as we'd never seen them before. When you're down, and when you're down at ground level, it's just amazing um, the difference to when you're up high. And some of you, if you've taken a flight from Whangarei to Auckland, you know that when you get up high and you see things, I always, always take note of what's happening in the harbour uh, and where the, where, where the sandbars are and I'm always looking for schools of fish and everything else as we take out off. It's amazing what you can see from up high. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. When you get up high... It's amazing what you can see when you get closer to God. It's amazing what he'll show you about the details, about the things that are going on in your life. One of the ways that we encourage ourselves to get closer to God and to put him first is to begin to recognize where we've come from. And the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, reminds us how bad it was. And he says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, As for you, that's you and me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our spiritual nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And when you look back and you see what life was like, basically Paul is saying to us, hey, we were dead men walking. Some of you would be familiar with that term. There's a film about it, uh, about the story of a nun who befriended a rapist and murderer on death row in the United States. And the term death dead man walking comes from the situation where a prisoner on death row, after they have exhausted all of their appeals and they've exhausted all of the stays of execution, that the sentence has not been commuted. Basically, at the end of all that, the prisoner is led to the room where he's going to receive a lethal injection. And on the way to that final room, the prisoners, the guards would all chant out, dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man walking. Just acknowledging that while 
he's taking that walk, he is actually as good as dead. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's, that's what it's like when you're living a life outside of Christ. When you're living a life outside of Christ, you're actually like a dead man walking. Unless there is miraculous intervention, you're going to spend eternity outside of God's plans, outside of God's purposes, outside of God's love. And that is not God's intention for you. And that's why I love that last part of that um, passage that we have just read. But because of God's great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. I don't know whether you remember what your life was like before you came to know Jesus Christ. No peace. Searching for meaning in life and fulfillment. Needing to be loved but always feeling unloved or never satisfied. Looking for fun in all the wrong places. There is pleasure in sin. But the Bible says it only lasts for a season. Sin always has promises more than it can deliver. Uh, it has consequences that always hang around longer than we expect. So I'm so pleased I'm not living those bad old days again. But amazingly, I thought that some of that time was actually pretty good until I had something to compare it with. And Paul, who's talking about this, he was a pretty good fella. Uh, he was a great Hebrew it says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a good Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law. He was zealous for doing what he thought was defending the faith. Even though he was a good guy, he said, I'm a dead man walking before I knew Jesus Christ. You see, sin in your life shrinks your life from God's perspective. But putting him first, enlarges your horizons. That brings me to the second part, and that is that your heart determines the expansivity of your life. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body Above all else, guard your heart, for, it, for out of it comes the issues of life. Keep God's word at the center of your heart, not your fears, not your anxieties, not your frustrations, not your bitternesses, not unforgiveness, not jealousy, not hurts, but keep God's word at the center of your heart. It's healing and it's health. God's word heals your heart, expands your vision, and prepares you to hear God's voice. The condition of your heart is deciding the kind of life you live. <coughs> your future is in your heart. Because out of your heart comes all the issues of life. Your relationships are coming out of your heart. Your work, your career, your destiny, everything that you are, and everything you do flows out of your heart. So guard your heart, defend your heart, because out of your heart will come your life. 
expand your heart's capacity for God and you will expand your life. In the natural, you can have problems with your knees. You can have problems with your ankles. You can have problems with a leg. You can have problems with an arm, uh, hand. You can have problems with the ears. You can have problems with your eyes. And you can find a way to deal with it, and you can go on. But if your heart stops pumping, you don't go on. Heart-related deaths are the number one cause of death in the Western world. More than cancer, more than AIDS, more than terrorism, more than war, more than crime, more than traffic accidents. And when heart ailments don't kill, they injure, they debilitate, they alter our lives. And the same is true in the spiritual. Spiritual heart disease can be caused by countless little things that slowly eat away at a person's heart over time. Things like attitudes, things like relationships, things like patterns of behavior, uh, wrong priorities, little compromises, unforgiveness and bitterness will grow and grow and grow and grow. Taking on of other people's offenses is like a knife into your heart. A lack of awareness of the condition of your natural heart can be absolutely fatal. I remember a pastor friend of mine quite a long time ago who went down to Green Lane Hospital for a heart checkup. And the doctor said, after checking him up, said, you aren't going home. You could die at any moment. They scheduled him for heart surgery early the next week, which was really, really successful. And today, he's still alive, still loving God. But I think what might have happened if he hadn't had that checkup, that heart checkup was the difference between life and death of being able to detect a problem and being able to do something about it. People die spiritually because they never do a regular heart checkup. So they don't realize the desperate condition of their heart until one day they just spiritually die. A great example of that in the Word would be Samson. And it says of Samson in, in, the, in the Word that, Samson didn't realize that the Holy Spirit had left him. Didn't realize it. Which is going on and on and on until one day cost him his life eventually. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So if you want a heart checkup, go to the Holy Spirit and go to his word. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before His eyes, um, before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And God wants us to have a healthy heart that is expanded in its capacity for Him 
and his love and joy and peace. He wants us to experience that. And so if you want to do a heart checkup, start reading the Word of God and comparing your thoughts to the thoughts that you read in the Word of God. Compare your attitudes, compare your lifestyle to what God is saying, uh, the lifestyle that he has for us. A healthy heart is a heart that is in God's hands. I, I love that verse in Proverbs 21 verse 1, which says, The heart of a king is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it this way or that. And there's no more secure place than having your heart in God's hands, knowing that he can guide you, he can lead you, he can direct you, he can speak to you, he can change the way you're, you're going. You can be going in this direction, and God, with his heart, with your heart in his hands, can just turn you around and point you in a different direction. And that is just so encouraging to me, and I've just seen it time and time and time again in my life. Thirdly, your prayers determine your life's expensiveness and influence. One of the disciplines that Penny and I have been doing, and, by the, and one of the disciplines that uh, Dean uh, Perkins would do every, every morning, Dean would read the Word of God. That's why he was so soft-hearted. It's one of the things that um, Penny and I do. But sometimes when you're reading the Word, you can go through sections of the Old Testament which you think, man, what is that in there for? Uh, one of those is in Chronicles where you just got this list of name after name after name after name after name. And, and sometimes I just think, oh, I should just skip over these ones and um, just leave those for next year. Uh, <clears throat> But in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, there's another long list of names. But 44 names into this list, there's a little parenthesis. There's a little breakout. There's an amazing story. Um, after the story, goes on with all the other names. But this is what it says. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. And enlarge my territory, and your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. See, Jabez asked God to bless him and enlarge his borders and his kingdom influence, and God does. In other words, Jabez wanted more influence. He wanted more opportunities to make a difference for God. He was looking at his present circumstances and he was saying, surely I was born for more than what I am experiencing right now. He was so, he said, God, expand my influence for you. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In James chapter 4, Verse 2, we read, you don't have because you don't ask God. Every day of our lives, we should get into the discipline of asking God to bless us, knowing that His very nature is to bless and when we ask God for his blessing, we're not asking for more of what we could do ourselves. 
we are asking for his divine, miraculous intervention in our lives to bring about his plans and his purposes in our lives. We're asking God for God to increase our vision for what he can, can and wants to do in our lives. Every person here this morning needs more of the blessing of God. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you need more of God's blessing in your life. We need more of God working through us to expand our influence for the kingdom. And God wants you to have an expanded influence for Him and your family. He wants you to have an expanded influence for Him amongst your friends. He wants to have an expanded influence for Him in your place of work. We need to have that heart attitude and that heart cry that says, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want to do more for you. I want to see your kingdom influence expand through me. Mums and dads, if your kids came to you and said, what can I do for you? I just want, now some of you are just going to faint right on the spot, I know. Some of you are going to say, if you've got a temperature, quick, we better get the doctor. But if, if, if our kids came to us and said, mum and dad, what can I do for you? I just want to serve you. I just want to bless you. I just want to see your vision. I just want to see the things that you want come to pass. What would you do after you got up off the floor? You would say, sure. Here's some things that you can do for me. What if we're like that, how much more is our Heavenly Father? When we come to him and say, God, we just want to serve you. God, we just want to see your influence increase in my life. Whatever our gifts, whatever our education, whatever our vocation might be, our calling is to do God's work and expand his kingdom on earth. And we should be looking for more opportunities to share God's love and his acceptance and his forgiveness and his wisdom with our family, our friends, our neighbors, our workmates, and those that God brings across our path each day. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we, every one of us, have been created for good works, which God foreordained that we would walk in. Some of us are missing those good works. Some of us are missing those opportunities. Some of us are not seeing them because our eyes are down instead of looking up. We need to start looking and we need to start seeing as God sees the situations and the circumstances. We need, it's not about our wisdom. It's not about our strength. It's not about our resources. It's about God working through us as vessels to make a difference. We need to be a church and a people with an increased vision who pray every day, God, increase my influence for you. God, expand my territory. And guess what? Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do far exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine according to the power 
of the Holy Spirit that works in us. See, sometimes we think that the miracles of God are all out there. No. We've got the same Spirit within us that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the Spirit within us. Jesus said, out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the, of the Spirit. Some of us have got drops. Some of us have got dribbles of living water flowing out from us. Hey, turn the tap on. Start praying. Start asking God to flow through us and see those rivers of living water that he has planned and purpose for us to be flowing in, flowing out through us. So let's start asking and imagining and seeing what he will do. Number four, your zeal and your passion will affect the expansiveness of your life. I love seeing those kids up in the worship this morning. That's the next generation coming through. And some of them, some of them were absolutely going for it. Some of them were just really, really passionate. Tark and I were talking together last year, just reminiscing on what it was like after we were born again back in the 70s. And as we thought about it, we were passionate. We were zealous for God in his kingdom. I mean, we were excited to go to church. We would go to church and get there half an hour early to make sure that we got a good seat. Uh, we attended every service. We attended every prayer meeting. We didn't want to miss a prayer meeting in case that was the prayer meeting that God moved, moved by His Holy Spirit and we missed out. And we were excited when we came to church services. Pam is nodding because she was in the same situation. We were excited to come to church services because we just wanted to see what God was going to do that morning at church. We wanted to know who was going to get healed, who was going to get touched, who was going to get delivered. And we saw some amazing things. I remember one day that this big Maori fella came into the, um, the pastor's office and he had a violin case. Uh, well, actually, it was a guitar case with him. And, um, and I know this because I was in the office at the time. And he, he opens up this guitar case and in there was an automatic rifle. And I thought, oh, he's come, he's come to kill the pastor. <laughs> but he'd come to surrender it because he'd got born again. I remember going to baptismal services and we'd lay hands on the people getting baptized and bang, the Holy Spirit would hit them and they'd just fall to the, under the water, <laughs> to the floor of the baptismal tank and we'd have to dive and grab them and pull them up. But they just got delivered. Time and time and time again, God was doing miracles. And as we've said over the last few weeks, we've just seen some great things happening in the worship service. You know, you can just sit in the presence of God and God's Holy Spirit will come and touch you. And if you're ready to receive, if you're looking to receive, if you are saying, God, I just want to touch from you this morning, He will do it. You don't have to wait for an altar call at the end of the service. We went to every prayer meeting. We went to life group meetings every week, not because we had to, but because 
We wanted to. We were so hungry for more of God. And I think it was that hunger, it was that zeal, it was that passion that caused us to be in a position so because we had surrendered our lives to God, He could do with them whatever He wanted to. If God needed us in Ekadahuna, we would go. And so Tark, who had a double degree in law and accounting, God called him to the Philippines. When he came back from the Philippines, called him to a little church in West City in Glendean, which was the West City Assembly of God Church. Tark just laid aside everything. Often when I'm playing golf with, um, with non-Christians on a, on a Monday, uh, I, they ask me, what do I do if they're new to the club? And I just say, oh, I'm a minister. I said, whoa, how did you get into that? And I said, well, it's interesting. I'm probably the only minister in New Zealand with a degree in biotechnology. And uh, it gives me a great opportunity to be able to tell them how God spoke to my life. And when God said, hey, I want to change the direction of your life, the direction that you're going in, it wasn't hard. My, um, my aunt, who was a millionaire, I remember sitting in my dad's lounge and saying, why did you give up that fantastic job? You traveled around the world a number of times. And I, she just couldn't grasp how I could do that. But for me, my life was God's. And he wasn't asking me to do something that was worse than what I was experiencing. He was asking me to do something which is better. And it has been. Life in the center of God's hands is always better than life outside it. We don't see that kind of passion as often and that kind of zeal as often in the church today. But we need to. But we need to. 2 Corinthians 13 Verse 14, as the musicians come, tell the story of how on his deathbed, Elisha the prophet is visited by the king of Israel. And Elijah always did things in prophetic pictures. And so he gets the king to shoot an arrow out of the window and then he declares, he says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declares, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. And then he said, take the arrows. In other words, take the, the quiver of arrows. And the king took them. And Elijah told, told him, strike the ground. And the king took the arrows and he struck the ground and he struck the ground three times and he stopped. And the man of God, Elijah, was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. What's going on there? If the king had been passionate and zealous... And hit the ground five or six times when he was told to do that. Then his nation would have completely destroyed his enemies. But because he was only half-hearted, 
he missed out on the opportunity for complete and utter victory. The king's future was completely constricted through a lack of zeal and passion. Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, it's easy to let our spiritual fervor just slowly go down. And it just happens little by little by little by little. Little sleep, little slumber. If you don't stoke a fire, it'll go out. And we need to be continuing stoking this fire of the Spirit because our relationship with Jesus Christ is an ongoing relationship. It's not something that happened once and we never do anything about it after that. No, it's something that's happening day after day after day. It's a living, growing, breathing relationship which needs to be fueled, fueled by our reading the Word, fueled by our praying, fueled by our getting up high with God and seeing what He has for us. What are you passionate or zealous about? Are you zealous for the house of the God? Jesus, as written of, said, zeal for your house will consume me. You know, are you angry at Satan for the way he destroys lives? I just get so mad when I see or hear of young people dying young. I think, Satan, you dirty, rotten dog. And it causes me to rise up with holy anger and pray and ask for a breakthrough. What are you zealous about? Will you absolutely give your life to serving King Jesus in his kingdom? You may be lukewarm this morning. Well, God wants to stir you up afresh and cause you to run again the race that he set before you. But it all starts with seeing where you are, where you have been, and saying, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. Amen? Why don't you shut your eyes just for a moment? I want you to begin to plug into God. I want you just to say, Holy Spirit, just come. Touch me afresh. Heal me afresh.